Welcome to Manna for Breakfast, the daily Bible reading devotional which chronologically takes you through the Word of God from Genesis to Revelation in one year. Grab a cup of coffee and your Bible and join us as we journey together through God's Word. Good morning, everyone. I'm trying to get that clock to behave, and it's not. I set it down to two minutes, jumped back up to four, and then it didn't want to uh, didn't want to count down. I don't know what, what that silly clock is doing. But hopefully, uh, you all are seeing this on all platforms. I've been having an issue with YouTube on Calvary Chapel. It's not been showing up very well there so i got to work on that i still can't get telegram i've been in touch with them in touch with the the uh, software engineers and everybody but we're going to do that but i think we're on twitter and we're going to add a rumble i got to get rumble going for the new year so i got a few days left for that but it's nice to have you guys merry christmas as you are preparing for christmas i hope and hopefully you guys up north have a day off in this cold weather that you can stay at home and build a fire as much as it is a dip, uh, pains us to go out and cut wood and bring wood in if you have a wood stove, um, those days are, are <laughs> precious. They, I miss those days, as strange as it sounds. When you live down here in the subtropics and you don't, nobody even knows what a fireplace is particularly, um, there was something kind of nice around Christmas going out and getting some wood and... Um, Especially go out and cutting the wood out in the forest. I always enjoyed that and bringing it back and then uh, having that wood uh, ready. And of course now with these costs going up all over the place um, for energy, it's um, also very nice, practical in a sense. Makes a nice a nice environment. And, um, and especially if you are in, in the places where the, you're getting into sub-zero weather. That is, um, we are praying for you, seriously not a fun deal. I have been in that situation, even camping in the wilderness and extreme sub-zero weather where you die if you if you do take one wrong move and don't have the right protection. So we are seriously praying. I've been every day for those people that are up in those areas that have been suffering this. But be that as it may, we hope that you have a wonderful, wonderful Christmas and because it is Christmas, we definitely want to celebrate him. What better way than to keep our minds focused? And it's his birthday. So rather than ignoring, as everybody seems to do, uh, their, their Bibles and their spiritual walks because of family and confusion and gifts and food, um, we want to press into it. So we will do that this morning. First off, we will look over to this day in history. A couple of interesting things happened. December 24th, St. Francis of Assisi in 1223 stages history's first living nativity scene completed with live animals in a cave in Gracillo, Italy. I have to ask how to pronounce that right. Um, G-R-E-C-C-I-O. Grecio, we would say in more less in Spanish. Um, if I remember my history, he was concerned about the illiterate that were not able to read and therefore really have an understanding of the Bible. So he wanted to to make this uh, a live nativity scene to give them an understanding of what happened at the birth. 
However, there's interesting history around this, uh, about the birth and the interpretation of what the Bible says about uh, Jesus and a misinterpretation that King James about him being born in a cave that probably is incorrect and did a whole teaching on this a year or two ago about where he was most likely born um, and it was probably not way away. It was probably in the city. It could have been in a back alley. There's other people that think that actually was born in a room. But anyway, it probably was not in a cave. And we know it wasn't December 24th, but we celebrated on De- December 24th anyway. And um, why do we do that? It's because at Rome was uh, in that time, they the first celebration of Christmas was in Rome. And I'll find it for you here. Celebrated Christmas, yeah, December 24th, 336. Although Christmas celebration started in 300s, the first celebration of Christmas that we have on record that occurred in, um, on the 24th was in Rome on the 24th. Now, was it to combat Saturnalia, the, the Roman celebration? Good chance it was. Think that the Christians did not want to celebrate Saturnalia and give any uh, honor to this Roman god, so they chose to honor Christ during that time and honor his birth. And I personally don't see anything wrong with that. You are redeeming something that is the world is something that's evil, and you're saying, hey, we just choose to, to, to choose this day, and we're going to focus on this day. Um, also, Silent Night was composed on this night, December 24th, 1818. Very famous Christmas carol. Is performed for the first time. The lyrics had been written by Father Joseph Moore, and melody was composed by an organist, Frank Xavier Guber. Moore asked Guber to compose a melody and guitar accompaniment for the Christmas Eve Mass since a flood had destroyed their organ. And Silent Night was the result. All was calm, all was bright, round, young virgin, infant, so tender and mild. I imagine after their flood, they were needing, thinking about something that would be calm in a silent night for them. This was in um, Salzburg, Austria, where the song was performed. So there you go. And okay, the last one, since we have it here in front of me. On December 24th, interesting date for Columbus to do this, Christopher Columbus was sleeping and the steerman decided to take a nap, leaving only the cabin boy to steer the Santa Maria, a practice for, forbidden by Columbus. The ship struck a sandbank in Haiti and began to sink. So Columbus sank the Santa Maria on this day in 1492. He not only sailed the ocean blue, but he also sank it. Sank on the ocean blue. Well, interesting. So, moving on to the dad jokes, I thought I would throw in um, some Christmas dad jokes here just to, to enjoy the day that we have. Okay, here's, here's our first one. What does the gingerbread man use to keep his bed warm? Well, obviously, a cookie sheet. Uh-huh, and let's see. Why did the doctor warn the man not to eat Christmas tree decorations? 
He didn't want him to catch tonsillitis. <laughs> My drummer messed up there. Let's try another one. That was a bad drummer. Um, what did the first snowman say to the second snowman? <laughs> I don't know about you, but I smell carrots. There we go. That's better. Mm, and this one, <laughs> this one I like. What do you call a child who doesn't believe in Santa? A rebel without a clause. <laughs> and you can say that about pastors too. I'm going to be doing a little teaching on that tomorrow. And uh, it's a biblical view of there you go, Santa, and those kinds of things. So, um, yeah, I think that will be, that's enough of that for now. Let's look over into the Word. So as you can see, we are in Ezra. We're going to finish Ezra today and move on to Nehemiah. They were contemporaries. As we're at the end of the year, we're closing out the Old Testament as well. And uh, Israel is back in the land, coming out of Babylon. They are, the temple has been been, been built. And uh, here is Ezra. He's coming back to encourage the building, and to uh, and he's a scribe. He wants to train the people. He wants to tell them about God, help them develop their, their walk with God, not just be involved in a building project. So, Father, as we enjoy this day, may you bless it. Thank you for it. Thank you for blessing us abundantly, uh, more than we could ask or, or think and certainly deserve. So we thank you for this day, and we do pray that, God, you would um, help us reflect on you celebrate your birthday god and honor you and not just think of ourselves and not just think of the things we want but to think about the things we have think about the joy of our salvation and how you are the greatest gift we could ever have in our life so thank you father in jesus name amen while ezra was praying and making confession weeping and prostrating himself before the house of god a very large assembly men women and children gathered to him from Israel, for the people wept bitterly. Shechaniah, the son of Jeel, one of the sons of Elam, said to Ezra, I have been unfaithful to our God and have married foreign women from the peoples of the land. Yet now there is hope for Israel in spite of this. So now let us make a covenant with our God to put away all the wives and their children, according to the counsel of my Lord, and of those who tremble at the commandment of our God, and let it be done according to the law. Arise, for this matter is your responsibility. But we will be with you. Be courageous and act. Then Ezra arose and made the leading priests, the Levites, and all Israel take an oath that they would do according to this proposal. So they took an oath. And Ezra arose from before the house of God and went into the chamber of Joanan, the son of Eliashib. Although he went there, he did not eat bread nor drink water, for he was mourning over the unfaithfulness of the exiles. They made a proclamation throughout Judah and Jerusalem and to all the exiles that they should assemble at Jerusalem and that whoever would not come within three days according to the council of the leaders of Israel, all his possessions should be forfeited, and he himself excluded from the assembly of the exiles. 
So all the men of Judah and Benjamin assembled at Jerusalem within three days. And it was the ninth day on the twelfth month, and all the people sat in their open square before the house of God, trembling because of this matter and the heavy rain. Then Ezra the priest stood up and said to them, You have been unfaithful and have married foreign women, adding to the guilt of Israel. Now, therefore, make confession to the Lord God of your fathers and do his will, and separate yourselves from the peoples of the land and from foreign women. Then the assembly replied with a loud voice, That's right, as you have said, so it is our duty to do. But there are so many people, and it is the rainy season, and we are not able to stand in the open, nor can the task be done in one or two days, for we have transgressed greatly in this matter. Let our leaders represent the whole assembly, and let all those in our cities who have married foreign wives come at appointed times together with the elders and the judges of each city until the fierce anger of our God on account of this matter is turned away from us. Only Jonathan, the son of Ashael, and Azariah, the son of Tikva, opposed this with Meshulam and Shabbatai, the Levite, supporting them. But the exiles did so, and Ezra the priest selected men who were heads of fathers, households, for each of their fathers' households, all of them by name. So they convened on the first day of the tenth month to investigate the matter. They finished investigating all the men who had married foreign wives on the first day of the first month. Verse 18. Among the sons of the priests who had married foreign wives were found of the sons of Jeshua, the sons of Josadak, and his brothers, Maaseah, Eliezer, Jerob, and Gedaliah. They pledged to put away their wives, and being guilty, they offered a ram of the flock for their offense. Of the sons of Immer, there were Hanani and Zebediah. And of the sons of Harim, Masiah, Elijah, and Shemaiah, Jael, and Uzziah. Of the sons of Pashur, Elioni, Maasei, Ishmael, Nathaniel, Josabad, he Elisha. Of the Levites, there was Josabad, Shimei, Keliah, that is Kelita, Pethaliah, Judah, and Eleazar. Of the singers, there was Eliahib. Of the gatekeepers, Shalom, Telim, and Ui. Of Israel, the sons of Parash, there was Ramiah, Isaiah, Malkaijah, Miljamim, and Eliasar, Melkaija, Benaniah, of the sons of Alam, Metaniah, Zechariah, Jael, Abdi, Ejeremoth, and Elja, of the sons of Katu, Helonia, Elishib, Emetaniah, Jeremoth, Zabad, and Iziza, of the sons of Bebai, Joonanan, and Hananiah, Izabai, and Athaliah. 
and of the sons of Bani, Mashulam, Maluk, and Adiah, and Jashub, and Sheel, and Jamoth, of the sons of Parath, Moab, Adna, Kalilal, Benaniah, Masaiah, Mataniah, Bazalel, Ebuni, and Manasseh, of the sons of Harim, Eliser, Isaijah, Malkaijah, Shemaiah, Simeon, Benjamin, Maluk, and Shemariah, of the sons of Hashem, Matanai, Matatha, Zebad, Elephelet, Jamiah, Mashiah, I Shemi, of the sons of Bani, Maadai, and Aram, Uel, Banania, Benania, Kalui, I Venia, Meriath, Halashib, Matania, Matanai, I Jasu, Bani, Banui, Shemi, Shalamia, Natan, Adaia, I Machan Debai, Shashuai, Sharai, Azuel, Ishilamaya, Shalom, Amaria, and Joseph. I can't believe I made it through those. Of the sons of Nebu, there was Jalel, Matathia, Zebad, Jebnia, Jedidai, Joel, and Benaniah. All of these had married foreign wives, and some of them had wives by whom they had children. Well, thank you guys for putting up with those my pronunciation of those names. That kind of snuck up on me. I had not pre-read it, and <laughs> boy... You, it. Um, I appreciate you guys who are very, very um, good readers who can pronounce those names correctly. But um, I don't think it matters too much if we get every name correct. Uh, the idea is there was a lot of guys, there was a lot of them who had married foreign wives. And they were in the priestly class, too. Of course, where... Where does the enemy want to attack? He wants to attack anyone who's in leadership spiritually. And if you can cause them to crumble, and of course Solomon was um, civil, of course, as well. But try and slowly chip away at your morals and chip away at your worldview. And the best way is to, is to come into the home and do that. And of course, we we don't have that issue... Well, certainly it's an issue of marrying unbelievers, but what we have the issue now is it comes in the home th- through the Internet and it's how we marry foreign wives. Even if we have um, believers and you have a great wife, you have all of the philosophy of those that follow after foreign gods that are coming in to your home trying to invade and trying to deceive. And this is what was going on. And this is why there was this call to separate. And you think, you know, one sense it thinks, gee, that doesn't sound right. They married. You're telling people who were married to uh, really annul the marriage, even though they had children, uh, that God was overriding the the whole covenant thing. The covenant was of marriage was never to have been not with foreign wives. And so God had a standard, even in the marriage covenant that they had broken. And so they were to put them away. Can't imagine what that must have been like. But what amazes me is that they did it. That 
what really amazes me. And this does show that they were aware enough to know that their actions of their personal lives, what they did in their personal lives in their home, would affect the entire nation and affect God's response to them as a nation. It's easy to say, oh, come on, it's just my wife. How's that going to affect anything? That's my personal decision. No, they understood that their personal decision of disobeying God, they see, remember, uh, Ezra is a, a scribe. He's a teacher of the law. And these guys are building the temple without having a knowledge of the law. Really, they'd come out of, they'd come out of Babylon. They just know, hey, we're supposed to have a temple, supposed to have a priesthood, they're supposed to sacrifice. And they're building away. They see the foreign wives are going, hey, I, I'm lonely. Um, all the women are back in Babylon. I'm going to marry this girl. And then later they find out when Ezra comes, no, this is prohibited in the law. You can't do this. This is what happened to our fathers. This is what happened to Solomon. This is why we went into, into bondage in the first place. This is why we got into so much trouble because those women turned our hearts away from God. It became spiritual adultery. And apparently the women were not converting to, to worshiping Yahweh. There's no mention that they were that they were incorporated into the family because you know in Jewish I believe in Jewish law that it accepted the the foreigners and the Gentiles who would become believers. In other words, they were not excluded from Israel. I don't think, at least in the time of Moses. But I think the idea was these women. You've married a foreign woman without requiring her to come under the authority of the law and believe in Yahweh. And they were, they were two separate things. Like, how do you do that? I don't know. How do you be building the temple to your God and your wife is over there worshiping Chemosh? So this just shows how far away they were. And so they realize it and they go, okay, we've got to get this right. And they do. Amazingly enough, they get it right. Now, moving on. 13 years later, Nehemiah shows up. 13 years later, he's in Babylon. He's going to come, and he's a civil leader, where Ezra is a religious leader. And he has got a burden for the protection of Israel and the protection of Jerusalem. And we'll see why probably in the first chapter. <clears throat> Nehemiah chapter 1. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Helkaliah. Um, now it happened in the month of Cheslev on the 12th year while I was in Susa, the capital, that Hanani, one of the brothers and some men from Judah came and asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped and who had survived the captivity and about Jerusalem. And they said to me, the remnant there in the province who survived the captivity are in great distress and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are burned with fire. When I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days, and I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. I said, I beseech you, O Lord God of heaven, a great and awesome God who preserves the covenant and loving kindness of those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear now be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant, which I'm praying before you now, day and night, on behalf of the sons of Israel, your servant, confessing the sins of the sons of Israel, which we have sinned against you. I and my father's house have sinned. 
We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, nor the statutes, nor the ordinances which you commanded your servant Moses. Remember the word which your covenant, your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, Though those of you who have been scattered were in the most remote part of the heavens, I will gather them from there and I will bring them to the place where I have chosen to cause my name to dwell. They are your servants and your people whom you redeemed by your great power and your strong hand. O oh Lord, I beseech you, may your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant, and the prayer of your servants who delight to revere your name and make your servant successful today and grant him compassion before this man. Now I was the cupbearer to the king. Very, very important book of Nehemiah. As we see the closing out of the Old Testament here, he's going back to build a wall, but the first thing he realizes and the news is brought to him is, the people are in sin. Now, this is 13 years later after these priests have, and the people have distanced themselves from their foreign wives, but they're not getting very far with the progress of the temple. They have continual problems with the neighboring nations around them, threatening to come in and invade them and doing everything to get them to stop. And Nehemiah realizes that they're probably not being faithful in the building. They haven't been faithful in following much of the law. Somehow he knows this, so he repents before God and says, God, we're still not on track. We're still not doing things right. So God, forgive us. And he realizes that the walls are down, the gates are burned. He needs to go back. He feels that God could use him to do something about this. This is pretty cool because what we see here is when you see a situation where people are in sin, that he's a cupbearer. He's not, he, this is obviously it's an elevated position in the kingdom, but his job was not building walls and making gates. He wasn't per se a carpenter or a, a layer of stone. So, uh, or even a builder per se that we know of, but he sees that within the nation of Israel, those who love the God, there was a huge need. There was a huge gap that wasn't being attended to. And he sees that God, he believes that God would want that rectified. So he prays to God, asks God, God, essentially, here's the situation. I see a, a big situation. God, listen to my prayer. We want to get right with you. We want to do things right, but we need this. We need this wall. We need to have the protection, and we need to, to then continue in our rededicating our hearts to you to build up our fortified senses. And so he brings that to God, and God's going to respond and say, yes, oh, yes, you're right. I want you to go do this. I find that interesting because it wasn't like he was a prophet where God says, Nehemiah, and he's sitting there doing nothing or whatever, working, and God says, I want you to go build a wall, which we're often always waiting for. We want God to just kind of bang us over the head and say, this is my desire for you to go do this. And that would be easier. It would be nice to get that. Sometimes we do get those kinds of very strong 
impressions. But here, news is brought to him, and he prays about it. And then he starts getting a burden for it. Now, maybe God was putting that burden on his heart, but he starts getting a burden and says, this is not right. Something needs to be done. So he prays, and he goes and finds out from, well, he goes prays for God and see if God's, that's God's will and God's for, for, for that to happen. And then he goes before the king, and then he gets this, he gets this amazing permission to go. Now, he doesn't know this at all, but by him doing this, what, he, what he's going to be doing is starting the clock for the Messiah to come and enter into Jerusalem as their king. Because from the decree of Artaxerxes given to Nehemiah to go and rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, we find this decree in the book of Daniel, there'd be 173,880 days until the Messiah would enter in and proclaim himself king in Jerusalem. So again, this is exciting because Nehemiah is being obedient in one small area, being faithful to God, and yet being used in the whole tapestry of the prophetic coming of Christ to bring in the Messiah on a very specific timetable. And uh, so the, the book of Nehemiah is fascinating as we go through this. and Keep your eyes on it. And we will get more into that in the future. So, Revelation now, chapter 16. Then I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, Go and pour out on the earth the seven bowls of the wrath of God. So the first angel went and poured out his bowl on the earth and became a loathsome and malignant sore on the people who had the mark of the beast and who worshipped his image. The second angel poured out his bowl on the sea, and it became blood like that of a dead man, and every living thing in the sea died. Then the third angel poured out his bowl into the rivers and the springs of water, and they became blood. And I heard the angel of the waters saying, Righteous are you who are and who were, O holy one, because you judged these things. Then they poured out the blood of the saints and the prophets, and you had given them blood to drink. They deserve it. And I heard the altar saying, Yes, O Lord God, the Almighty, true and righteous are your judgments. The fourth angel poured out his bowl upon the sun, and it was given to it to scorch men with fire. Men were scorched with fierce heat, and they blasphemed the name of God, who has the power over these plagues, and they did not repent so as to give him glory. The fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and his kingdom became darkened. And they gnawed their tongues because of pain, and they blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores, and they did not repent of their deeds. The sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river, the Euphrates, and its waters were dried up so that the way would be prepared for the kings of the east. And I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet three unclean spirits like frogs, for they were spirits of demons performing signs which go out to the kings of the whole world and gather them together for the war of the great day of God the Almighty. 
Behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake and keeps his clothes, so that he will not walk about naked, and men will not see his shame. So they gathered them together to the place, which in Hebrew is called Har Magadon. Then the seventh angel poured out his bowl upon the air, and a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne, saying, It is done! And there were flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder, and there was a great earthquake, such as there has not been since men came upon the earth. So great an earthquake it was, and so mighty. The great city was split into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell. Babylon the Great was remembered before God to give her the cup of the wine of his fierce wrath. And every island fled away, and the mountains were not found. And huge hailstones, about 100 pounds each, came down from heaven upon men. And men blasphemed God because of the plagues of the hail, because its plague was extremely severe. Uh, yeah, 100 pound hailstones, that would be severe. But of course, that's just one of the many plagues that came upon the people during this time. So we're in the middle of the outpouring of God's wrath. This is obviously leading up to the crescendo before the coming of Messiah is coming again. The big battle of Armageddon, where the world comes together and blasphemes his name. It's interesting how it says they blasphemes his name, the name of God. Jesus is becoming more and more a name that is going to be outlawed. And if you use it and, cl and claim it, there's going to be uh, a price to pay. And this is mm, probably because these the demons know that their time is growing shorter. And so they're getting desperate. But there's power in the name. And so we don't back away from it because we see him delivering now. We see him in all kinds of situations delivering now. And we believe that these things that are going to come about are going to be pronounced upon those that are non-believers and left behind. And these angels are going to be flying around proclaiming the gospel. The, every, the, the 144,000, you have the two witnesses going to be online 24 hours a day and prophesying. In other words, constant Bible study explaining everything in the Bible that relates to Jesus. Everything. And people are going to become harder and harder. They're going to take that mark, and they're going to be blaspheming Jesus and blaspheming Yahweh. And they're going to be waiting for what they think is their Christ to win over the false Christ, which is Jesus coming, his second coming. So it is full of symbolism as well that we could go into if we had time. There's a lot of things that are going on with um, economic Babylon falling and what does that mean. But that's why I would encourage you to stick with us through the book of Revelation as we're in that on Sunday now. And as we will go into each one of these chapters and develop these things. So stick with us for that. Now moving over to Charles Spurgeon. Over Jordan with singing, the enemies shall be found. Liars unto thee. I should say, over Jordan and singing is the title. The verse, thine enemies shall be found. Liars unto thee. Deuteronomy 33, 29. 
the arch enemy, the devil, is a liar from the beginning, and he is so very plausible that, like Mother Eve, we are led to believe him. In our experience, we shall prove him a liar. He says that we shall fall from grace, dishonor our profession, and perish with the doom of the apostates. But trusting in the Lord Jesus, we shall hold on our way and prove that Jesus loses none whom his Father gave him. He tells us that our bread will fail, and we shall starve with our children. Yet the feeder of the ravens has not forgotten us yet, and he will never do so. He will prepare us a table in the presence of our enemies. He whispers that the Lord will not deliver us out of the trial which is looming in the distance. And he threatens that the last ounce will break the camel's back. What a liar he is. The Lord will never leave us or forsake us. Let him deliver him now, cries the false friend. But the Lord will silence him by coming to our rescue. He takes his delight in telling us that death will prove too much for us. How wilt thou do in the swelling of Jordan? But there also he shall prove a liar unto us, and we shall pass through the river singing psalms of glory. Again, relating this to the book of Revelation, we see that the enemy and the world today is saying, you must, as a believer, bow down to our demands, and you may not worship your God as you desire. You may not hold to the moral standards of the Bible. You must, you must change, acquiesce to what we tell you you can believe and what you can do as a person, what you can worship, what you can, uh, when you can worship, how you can worship, and, uh, your, and your standards of morality and acceptance in the society has to be the same as what we tell you it is or else we'll censor you, we'll persecute you, and we will do all kinds of things to ruin your life. And we say, hmm, the same God who could protect those who went through all of the darkest days in the Bible is the same God that can protect us, the same God who brought Isaiah the bread from the ravens during the, this horrible um, drought that that God had him pronounce, the same God that can take care of us and give us our bread daily that we need. So we we hold firm and we stand. We think we serve a God of truth. And this is so important these days. It's so important that we, and that we not only stand in it, we know that we have this amazing peace that we have truth because right now all we see all around us every day on all of the social media and and, and uh, broadcasts all over the cable is lies lie after lie after lie after lie and it's comforting to know that we can know the truth and stand in the truth and know that truth sets us free what a great thing. And, and, and the freedom that we have and the truth that we have is that Jesus was born 2,000 years ago. Maybe not exactly on this day, but we celebrate it. We celebrate that he is alive, that his coming into the world and his birth did not end there, that he, that he lived a perfect life and he suffered a tragic death on our behalf and that he is risen on the right hand of God and he's alive today.
in a human body that's glorified and that he himself is now with us. He is Emmanuel, God with us. This is the beauty of the birth is that it's not witness, it's not celebrating 2,000 years ago something that happened. It's celebrating the birth of a child who is the man Christ Jesus, who is God, who is king in, in his glorified state and now with us. And so all of this we celebrate on this day and we thank him for it. So let's do that. Father God, thank you for this morning and a beautiful morning it is here. And we pray that those who are up in the north, well, I guess for many of you, we won't have to wish you have a white Christmas. It seems like many of you do. So we thank you that at least with this blizzard, God, many people will have a a Christmas to remember. May it bring warmth to the family. May it uh, cause many to come together and celebrate you, God, and worship you and give thanks for the homes that you've provided, for the protection that you've provided, not only for the warmth of the home, but the warmth of the families. And may, God, we pray that you reestablish relationships uh, however possible, God, within whatever families meet together from our brothers and sisters that they have family coming may just be a sweet time and um, may you supply them with their not only their needs but also their desires for food and for fellowship and for even for gifts god and those gifts can be a um, and operate as a testimony and a blessing to our family members so we pray for that 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 would be something that would glorify you so thank you for all that you are going to do. And we do want to pray for those that are weak, sick, and alone, that they would be somehow incorporated into the the church family, as many will be meeting and celebrating tomorrow. God, that they would not stay home, but they would find a way, even in, in the cold weather, that if it's safe, they could get out. And God, that you would bring us all together as a family in Christ to celebrate you. It's wonderful, God. We thank you that we can celebrate Christmas Day on Sunday. So thank you for that. And uh, God, we just pray for a safe and relaxing rest of the year. As many people will have off and be able to spend time at home. Thank you that Esty's home. Thank you that our kids are coming at the end uh, of this week and uh, this next week. And so we just ask you to God, guide us and direct us. And tomorrow, we ask you to bless the service. Bring in those that you want, um, those that are in town, those that are on vacation, and maybe those that are found themselves here without really in, um, wanting to be or, or um, you know, so many people get deported and they don't have family members or they came here looking for work and they're alone. So we've got to just pray, bring them in tomorrow and then we might... Uh, be a part of they be a part of our family uh, for church service and we can minister to them so thank you for that and all as always god help those that are sick that they would receive a great amount of healing today and comfort and be relieved of their pain so that they can enjoy these next few days and be able to worship and celebrate you so we praise you god and thank you Thank you for the work of the evangelism team and all that they contacted on Thursday. May you guide those people themselves who pray to receive you come up tomorrow. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, thank you guys. I went way over my time because I got to start this Spanish one. So I'm just going to leave it with you and say goodbye. Merry Christmas. And I'm uh, going to put out a podcast. I won't be live tomorrow, but we'll see you soon. Bye-bye. Mm-hmm.